Well, I would like to congratulate each and every one of you for surviving Daylight Savings Time. Uh, and to have this type of weather on top of it, this is just, this is rough. So you guys are tough. I mean, you guys are survivors. Uh, even if you feel like, man, I just barely made it or I'm late. Uh, hey, you made it. So congratulations. Well, today we're going to continue on in our Putting Go Back in the Gospel series. And I, I want to start by asking, how many of you struggle with getting lost? A- any of you just find yourself a little prone to find yourself going, where am I? Okay, a few of you are struggling to admit it. All right. I, I typically am okay. Uh, it changed when we lived in Colorado because the mountains were always in the west. And so I just began to kind of be able to figure out which direction was which, and it's just stayed with me ever since, even when I moved back to Iowa. Except when I'm in a hospital. When I go to a hospital, I get horribly lost. I am convinced that these things are designed by unstable humans who design masochistic mazes for their job. Like, they find sick pleasure in knowing that every day there are going to be people lost within their maze. And you have to, like, ask for directions 12 different times. And all the nurses and doctors act like it's the easiest thing in the world. They're like, oh, you just go down there, you turn here, you go there, you go down the elevator, you turn here, you walk through this... And I'm just like, uh, okay, thank you. And then I ask the next person. I'm always lost. And, and then when you go to leave, you can find a way out. There's always exit signs, but you never get back to the parking lot where your car is at, right? It is frustrating to go to hospitals. However, how many of us judge a hospital based on its layout? None of us. If we get admitted to the hospital, what we want is not a good layout. We want good doctors. We, we want good nurses. We want quality care. Uh, let me take this a step further. Imagine you get admitted to the hospital. You may have the best doctor in the world. He, he or she might be a leader in their field. But if they are an absolute jerk, you will not feel cared for. You, you could have an, a nursing staff that got all A's in school. I mean, they were the top of the top, the, you know, supposedly the best. And yet, if they ignore you, if they're rough with you, if they just are kind of mean, you don't care how good they are because you won't feel cared for. Because as the truism goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what we're going to talk about today in the second part of the Putting Go Back in the Gospel series. That today we're talking about sharing the gospel. That's what this whole series is about. And last week we shared our definition of the gospel. It's not a perfect definition, but it's a good one. It's a good one for us to kind of rally behind and move forward with. Our definition at Riverwood of the gospel is this. The gospel is the ongoing story of God redeeming broken and imperfect people and restoring them into the complete and perfect image of Jesus. And he accomplishes this through the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel. And as we looked at last week, this is good news. For us to realize that we were broken. We, we were spiritually disconnected from our creator because of sin. But rather than make us pay for the penalty of our sin, he paid it for us. Jesus died our death to invite us to live the life he's always intended for us to live. That's good news. And so what it means is that we were spiritually dead, but now we're alive in Christ. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you go from being a spiritual orphan 
to now being the son or daughter of the creator. You go from being in spiritual poverty to having spiritual riches. That's why last week we looked at this idea of share the wealth. We have these good things. Now, we looked at some practical things like if you've got a house or a car, you know, you could take these things and share them with others. But ultimately, if you follow Jesus, the greatest thing you have is the gospel. And you should share that. You should share the wealth. Now, there are many Christians who are passionate about this idea of sharing the gospel. But I've noticed a couple of camps get built. And people get really entrenched in them. One camp is the camp that believes that you must share the gospel with words. And they would run to passages like Acts chapter 2. Peter stands before the masses and preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people in one day place their faith in Jesus. Or you could go to like Acts chapter 11 and you see some guys that they don't, we don't even know their names. And yet they were so passionate about the Jesus message that they took off to these other areas where no one else was going. Just so they could tell them about Jesus. And amazing things were happening. And these people were using words. But what I've noticed is that some people who are entrenched in this camp, they see it as walking out on the street to complete strangers and sharing the gospel. I I think their heart is in totally the right place. They've got this motivation to share the wealth, to share the gospel. But it becomes a very impersonal activity. They don't know this other person's name. They don't know anything about their story. It's just propaganda, bring it to them, and it doesn't translate into sharing the gospel with your family or or, or with your friends, your, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you already know. It becomes this distant thing rather than just a natural thing. So then you get the swing from that, the other camp. This is the camp that thinks that you share the gospel through action. That they would look at like the quote by uh, St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. The, the problem though is that Francis never said that and it doesn't jibe with scripture because the verse we just saw in that little intro video, Matthew 28, Jesus says to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Now, you can teach them through your action. People can watch what you do, and they'll learn a lot from that. But let's be honest. To truly teach, there's going to have to be some words. So, you're probably kind of catching on that if you're entrenched in one of these camps, I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable today. Because my goal is not to get you entrenched in one of these camps. My goal is to help you follow Jesus. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, if you're here investigating who Jesus is, or if you've been following him for a long time, today I want to help you go just a little bit deeper. And I want you to see that in order for you to show that you care, it's going to require you to share with words and to share through action. In other words, it means you're going to have to share your life. And then when you share your life, people will see that it isn't how much you know they will finally know how much you care. So let's pray. Father, I, I just ask that today would be uh, about what you want to say. Um, Lord, we're, many of us are tired, uh, losing the hour of sleep, having this kind of weather, and yet we've come because we need you. We want to meet with you. And so we've just sung to you. We're, we're talking to you now in prayer. And so that's why we ask, would you talk to us? May this not be about what Aaron Bird wants to say. 
May this be about what you want to say, what you've been saying through your scriptures and what you want to say to us today in 2016. So Lord, help us to stay attuned into what you have for us so that we can go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived as we follow him. It's in Jesus' name I ask for this. Amen. If you brought a Bible or you have a Bible app on your phone, please open it up to Luke chapter 5. We're going to spend uh, time out of Luke. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, because that would be me, uh, I wouldn't want to just look at it at the screen, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, if uh, Galen's okay, uh, <laughs> we'll grab you a Bible uh, there. Uh, he must be. He's not crying. So just raise your hand up. We'll grab you a Bible, and uh, that way you can look at it on paper uh, with us. Uh, just some background here on Luke. Uh, it's the third book of the New Testament, but it's the only gospel account written by a Gentile. You know, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the four gospels. And Matthew, Mark, and John were all Jews. In fact, Matthew and John were direct disciples of Jesus. So they were able to give firsthand accounts, but Luke was different. Luke was a Gentile. He was actually a doctor, a physician. We think that he came to know who Jesus was through the ministry of Paul. Luke didn't just write this book. He also wrote the book of Acts. If you go into the book of Acts, there are times where it switches into first person. And you will see him talking about, we went here, and then I saw. And, and he's giving the account of his travels with Paul. But it's almost like Luke says, you know what? I see what God is doing here. But to help you understand the book of Acts, I've got to give you the background. I've got to give you the story. I've got to write the prequel. I've got to let you know about Jesus. Now, in the book of Acts, I shouldn't say in the book of Acts, but about the book of Acts, archaeologists, even non-Christian uh, archaeologists, say that from an archaeological standpoint, a historical standpoint, the book of Acts is 100% verified. There, there are a lot of places, a lot of like leaders, political leaders that are mentioned, and yet archaeology has been able to see, oh, here's that place. Oh, yes, there really was this leader. And so his, from a historical perspective, Acts is 100% correct. Makes sense. If you've got a physician, he's probably going to be a little meticulous. He's going to make sure he's getting everything right. And so he does with the book of Acts. So if he's so accurate on the historical end of things, why isn't he also accurate on the, you know, other things? So why would we doubt when we see a miraculous healing? Or, or when he writes about, you know, 3,000 people putting their faith in Jesus in one day. If he's so accurate there, let's trust he's also accurate on these other things. It gives us confidence that what we read really happened. So that means that what we're going to read today really happened. This isn't just some fanciful story that Luke made up. It's about a guy, a guy whose life was radically changed. And the guy's name was Levi. Now, if you've been to church very much, if you've read the Bible any, you've probably, you're probably familiar with Levi. You just may not know it. Because Levi had another name. Have you noticed how many guys in the Bible seem to have like two or three names? You know, you've got Simon, who's also Peter. Saul becomes Paul. Barnabas, he, he's actually, his real name is Joseph. I mean, some of these guys have like three names. Well, Levi's no different. He's also known as Matthew, the guy who wrote the first book of the New Testament. But before Matthew became a disciple of Jesus, before he wrote this gospel account, he was a tax collector. And you've got to understand the nature of tax collectors. They were 
hated in their culture, detested, because the Romans were kind of ruling over Israel. They, they kind of let Israel have, you know, their own kind of fake leaders. They, they, you know, set it up so that Israel felt like a nation, but yet Israel knew they weren't, especially when it came time for the taxes. And so what the Romans did was they recruited Jews to work as tax collectors, which meant you were taking money from your people and sending it off to the Roman Empire. So you were, in a sense, a traitor. And not only that, the tax collectors were also skimming extra money. If you were supposed to come up and say, you know, you had to give like, you know, five coins or whatever, they'd actually tell you, no, you have to give seven. Record is that you have to give seven. And they would extort the people, and then they'd send five to Rome and keep the extra two for themselves. And they were getting a salary from the Roman government, but they were just kind of keeping this little bit of extra for themselves. And people started catching on, and they knew it was going on, but they couldn't prove it. And so these tax collectors were hated. They were pushed to the outside. They were notorious and nefarious. No one wanted to be around a tax collector. That's why what Jesus does in Luke 5 is so shocking. We're going to start in verse 27. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So the shocking thing that Jesus does here is he invites this thief, this traitor, to become a Jesus follower. He says, follow me. I mean, this is unheard of. I mean, you've got to realize that there were other rabbis at, the day, at, the, at that time. Jesus was not the only one. But these rabbis, they would read the Old Testament, they'd read the law, they would get an understanding of it, and they would teach it in a particular way. And they would want their teaching to continue on. So they would have these disciples, these students. Well, you would naturally want the best of the best. You'd want your brightest, those that can communicate, those who have charisma, those who can understand what you're trying to teach, who can embody it and then carry it on. Jesus doesn't seem to get this. Because he goes and asks unschooled fishermen to be his disciples. He, he goes and finds a crazy guy like Judas the Zealot. Says, hey, follow me. And now he walks up to a corrupt tax collector and says, follow me. Why would Jesus do this? Well, he gives us the answer. It's right there, verse 31 and 32. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This gets into that definition of the gospel that we have. Jesus is saying, I have come for broken and imperfect people. I have not come for the person who thinks they have it all together. I've come for the person who knows they don't have it all together. I've come for the broken, the imperfect, the sick, the spiritually disconnected. That's why at Riverwood, 
We don't care what your past is. We don't care what you've done as much as we care about where you're going. We are more concerned with your next step than we are about your past steps. Yeah, if you've got sin in your life, there needs to be repentance. Notice Jesus calls for that. But we want to help you continue to follow Jesus, to move forward. And that's why when people come in and we may not know them, we don't sit there and judge them based on their skin color or their clothing or what kind of car they drove into the parking lot or what type of job they tell us they have or don't have. Instead, we welcome them with grace because they're broken and imperfect people just like us, and they need Jesus just like we do. This is the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, this is what it's about. This is who it's for. And he's saying, I'm going to give it to them. But I want you to notice the response of the Pharisees. Because they looked at it and were like, how in the world can you do this? I mean, those are tax collectors. Those are sinners. That You see, the Pharisees would never be caught in the presence of one of these people, like just hanging out with them. The only time they were around tax collectors is when they were in line at the tax booth to pay their own taxes. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going out to catch a beer with them. Like, no, keep these guys away. You see, the Pharisees thought that they were righteous. They thought that they had it all together. They took the law of God very, very seriously. So they studied the Torah. They, they would look into the Talmud. They would study these things because they were passionate. They were zealous for God. But the thing is, they didn't realize that they were in need of Jesus just as much as Levi. See, I have a feeling that Levi knew he was a sinner. The Pharisees, though, were blind. <laughs> Levi knew, I need help. The Pharisees thought that they were fine. I, I can imagine that Levi grows up, little Jewish boy, going to the temple. He, he knows all the things to do in, in worship of God. But then he, he gets recruited to be a tax collector. And, and he starts collecting taxes, and, 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 and he's promised lots of money to do it, but people don't seem to like him. And then he starts hanging out with other tax collectors because no one else wants to be his friend. And he starts learning that, hey, if you just ask for a little bit more, they, they don't know. You could just keep that extra for yourself. How do you think I got so rich? So I imagine the first time it's some little old lady standing there to pay her taxes, and he's thinking, she'd never know. And he feels funny inside, but he goes for it. He, he asks for more than what he's supposed to collect, and he gets it. There's that little bit of guilt. And, and so he heads to the temple later, and, and he probably tries to confess it and, and, you know, has a sacrifice of an animal to pay for his sin, for his uncleanness. And he probably hung his head in shame, but yet the next day he tries it again. You ever found yourself caught in a sin that, that you, you commit it? And you're like, okay, no, never. I'm not doing this again. I'm done, God. I'm not going to do this. And next week you slip again. I would imagine that's what it was like for Levi. I wonder if Levi reached a point where he'd walk to the temple and he, he couldn't even raise his head and look up. Maybe he stopped going altogether because he thought he wasn't worthy of God's love. And so when Jesus walked up to him and said, follow me, what Levi heard was, you're forgiven. Because this powerful rabbi who's been traveling all around, healing people, doing miracles, feeding thousands of people, teaching the word of God like no one else. And now he walks up to you and says, follow me. 
you have a new chance. You have a new shot. You can leave this all behind. Maybe you can become someone. And so you just set it aside and you walk and you follow him. You are forgiven. The Pharisees, though, they thought, we're not like this tax collector. We're fine. We, we, we're righteous. We've been doing it all correct. But if you pressed in a little further, if, if you went a little harder at him, I, I would imagine the conversation would go something like this. So what you're telling me is that you as a Pharisee are, are righteous. Yes, because we adhere to the law. We uphold it. Oh, okay, so you even uphold, like, the sacrifices. Well, of course we, we uphold those. Those are part of the law. So why do you do the sacrifices? Well, some of them are in tribute to God. Some of it's sacrifice. But some of it, it it's for the forgiveness of sin. Oh, so as you're doing it, you're in a sense admitting you have sin? Well, yes, I, I guess so. If you kept pushing in, you would discover that they cannot uphold all 613 laws of the Mosaic Covenant. They can't do it all the time. It's, it's impossible. That's why they would have to do these rituals to continue to stay ceremonially clean. They were just as separated from God as Levi. Because you see, one mistake to the law means you are a sinner. But they couldn't see it. They were blind to it. So here are the Pharisees who think they're better than these tax collectors, and yet Levi's at least able to see, yeah, I'm separated from God. But this guy just said, follow me. I've got a new shot. I'm going for it. So the, ta- the Pharisees were just as spiritually disconnected. That's why they would not share their life with these people. I want you to notice, when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't just saying, I forgive you. He's also saying, I invite you into my life. And, and we see this when Jesus starts hanging out with him. He says that Levi made a great feast in his home. Jesus and his disciples are right there in the home of a notorious tax collector, eating drinking, laughing, joking, and yet Jesus is also probably teaching. And so Jesus shares his life with Levi. And he wasn't scared off by Levi's past. He just loved him. He shared his life with him. But I want you to notice, what is Levi's response? His response is to do the very thing Jesus did. Just as Jesus is sharing his life with Levi, Levi now begins to share his life with his friends. Because as a tax collector, he was always pushed to the outside. He, he didn't count. He didn't matter. So who would he hang out with? Other people who were on the outside. So tax collectors, prostitutes, the poor, maybe people who were handicapped, those who just didn't fit in as well. The only friends he could find. So he's just been forgiven by Jesus. He's just found Christ And so he invites all of his friends, and he throws a big old feast. And he invites them in, and he shares his life. He's just found the wealth of the gospel. He's just met Jesus, the Son of God. And now he's like saying, I want you to meet him too. And he begins to share his life. And so if you follow Jesus, then I want to encourage you to be like Levi, to share your life. If you have had an encounter with Christ, if you know this gospel message, if you're honest enough to admit, I am broken and imperfect, 
And yet Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins, and he's restoring me into his image, then you should share your life with others. It's what God wants for us to do. Because if we are to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, we should be sharing our life with people. So our response should kind of be like Levi's. So I want to give you five things to help you out to how to share your life. And I'm going to use it with an acronym. At Riverwood, we talk about go and being a blessing. We want to go and bless people. So that's our acronym, B-L-E-S-S, bless. And the first one, B, is begin in prayer. Now, yeah, we could have just said prayer, but that would make plus, and that's not a word. So we're going to start with the B. But I like starting with the B because it reminds us this is the first and foremost the most important step. You need to begin in prayer. It is really, really difficult to remain angry at someone that you were praying for on a regular basis. If you've ever been hurt by someone, if you just begin to pray for them on a daily basis, your heart will soften towards them. You will find yourself able to forgive them. If there's someone that you just were like, I, I, I want to get to know them, if you begin praying for them regularly, your heart is going to soften towards them, and you'll find these moments and opportunities, and so you won't shy away. You'll find yourself actually wanting to engage. So begin in prayer. When Jesus, uh, if you just go a, a chapter over in, in Luke, if you were to flip over a little later, Jesus has all these disciples who are beginning to follow him. They, they want to learn from him. They want to be like him. But then he decides he's going to select 12 of them that he's going to call apostles. They're going to kind of be the leaders of all these disciples. They're the ones he's going to entrust to carry on the Jesus mission. In other words, he was inviting them even deeper into his life. And what does he do? He goes up on a mountain, and he spends the night in prayer. He begins in prayer before he invites these guys into his life even more. He shared his life, and he began in prayer. So let's start there. Begin in prayer. If there's neighbors, friends, family that you just find yourself having this heart for, begin in prayer. Prayer will develop this heart and attitude of care within you. But then, L, listen. I think sometimes we think that sharing the gospel means we have to start with words. And actually, probably the best thing you can do is ask questions and just listen to them. Because if you think you've got to go into these conversations and, and like have a ready defense all, all, all there for them, you might be trying to answer a question that they may not have. You, you may be clueless about some experience they had. And, and if you would just stop and stop worrying about what you're going to say and instead just listen to them, you may actually find that God wants you to share something else in a different way, and you will actually care for them. But when you listen to them, make sure that you not only listen with your ears, listen with your eyes. Look at them. Don't look at your watch. Don't stare at your phone. Don't, don't be staring outside constantly. Like, give them your presence. Let them know you care. It's amazing what will happen, because as you listen, remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you listen like that, they now know you care for them. And they're far more prone to want to listen to what you have to say because now you're just a friend and you guys can be open and honest with each other. After L is E, eat. Each of you, well, I shouldn't say each of you. I should, I mean, I should make this assumption. It's safe to assume that the majority of you eat three meals a day, seven days a week. So there's 21 meals. What I want to challenge you to do is give up one and share it with someone. Right? Maybe it's a coworker. Take them out for, for lunch. 
Uh, maybe it's a, a neighbor that you invite over. You know, like maybe you say every Friday night we find someone to invite into our home and we just have pizza together. In fact, just this last week, uh, without uh, someone knowing I was going to be sh- sharing about this, uh, they, they were telling me about uh, this guy who moved into a neighborhood and wanted to share his life, get to know his neighbors. And so he started Saturday brunch. So every other Saturday, they just invite the whole neighborhood. I'm assuming it's a small neighborhood. But they invite the whole neighborhood over for brunch. And they just say, bring something to contribute. And every other week, they just remind people on about Thursday, Friday, hey, remember brunch at our house? And they just open up their home, and people come in, and they begin to share their life over food. Notice what Levi did. He meets Jesus, and he throws a party. He has a feast, and he invites all of his friends over. There's something communal about food. Food can break down barriers. So would you just give up one meal each week and find a way to share it with someone? And then as you sit down with them, ask them questions, get to know them, just listen to them. So begin in prayer, listen, eat, and then the first S, serve. This is when you take the gospel and you put it into action. If Jesus has made a difference in you, you're going to find yourself wanting to help others. This, this is why, as a church family, we are committed to doing first serve every month. Right now, we've been doing it at the food bank. I want this spring and the summer for us to add in, like, one more thing. Because Jesus said that he could, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we're to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, then we should be giving of ourselves, giving of our fist, our finances, our influence, our skills, and our time. So let's serve other people. And so that means if you've got a neighbor who just can't get out and shovel or, or, you know, mow their lawn, I'm hoping that we don't have to shovel again this year. But hopefully the next thing you get to do is mow the the lawn. Maybe mow theirs. Maybe someone's sick, a a coworker has a family member who's sick. Maybe take them a meal or or wash their car or, or watch their children. Find a way to serve them. Because when you serve, when you give of your time, you give of your influence, you give of your skills, it does something. And they know that you care because you're sharing your life. And then the second S is story. This is when you actually share words. But sometimes we feel like we've got to have the perfect, like, presentation. Like, what what would I say? Well, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week as we talk about share the truth. But let me just say right now, you do not have to have some amazing presentation. You just have to be yourself. Just share your story and just share Jesus' story. And don't worry about trying to guilt someone into making some sort of decision. You just let God lead it. So don't freak out about what you're going to say. No one can contradict your story. Just share what Jesus has done in you. But what that means you have to ask yourself, has Jesus really done a work in me? If you know Jesus, you don't have to sit there in fear. Do, do, am I going to make it to heaven? Do, do I have a relationship with God? No, you know the story. You've put your faith in it. Move forward. But if you've been just playing church, you, you've just been acting like a good Christian, you, you're just trying to put on the front so everyone thinks this about you, but you know deep down, yeah, I have not trusted God. I'm still not sure the thing you need to do is investigate Jesus. Get to know this story. Is it true? Because if it is, it changes your story. And then when it changes your story, now you have something to share. Now you have the words to give to someone. But remember, it isn't about the presentation because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. 
I watched Leanne do this with a neighbor a year after we moved to Cedar Rapids. A neighbor right behind us moved out, new ones moved in, and uh, we began to build a friendship with Jessica. And Jessica uh, found out I was a pastor on staff at a church, immediately starts asking all these spiritual questions, and it was clear she was seeking. And so Leanne and, and her made this incredible friendship, and I just would hear my wife's prayers for Jessica. And then I knew that she was listening to her because Leanne could come home and tell me things. I knew she was hearing her. And they would eat. They would sometimes go and do lunch together. They might, you know, catch a meal some other time. But also, Leanne was serving her. At the time, Jessica had a little girl. And so Leanne was right in there helping out, doing what she needed to, if needed to watch her. We would serve them. They sometimes also helped us out. But then Leanne was sharing the story. And it wasn't just her own story. She shared the Jesus story. Now, I've shared some stories like this before. Last week, I shared about Zach and the, the change that God did in him. I almost was going to tell you today about Pat, but I intentionally am telling you about Jessica. Because sometimes we hear stories like this, and we think, wow, God really worked there. He must be doing amazing things there. So when I share, you know, about Jesus with someone, or I serve someone, it, it just doesn't go the right way. <sighs> man, I must not be as good. Well, I'm telling you this story today because Jessica is still not a follower of Jesus. She now lives out of state, still connected through Facebook. Every once in a while, there's a phone call between Leanne and Jessica. There's still a love there. But Jessica still has not surrendered her life to Jesus. She's still searching. But I know that Leanne did what she needed to do. She did everything that God called her to do. She prayed for her. She listened. She'd enjoy a meal. She served her, and she shared the gospel. She used words. Jessica's heard it. She knows the truth, that only God can open eyes. Only God can open hearts. You don't have to have this guilt that if I don't present it the right way, the pressure's not on you. The pressure's actually on God. You are just called to share your life. Just love people. Just care for them. Use your actions. Use your words. Just use yourself. Because when we do this, we create the opportunities for God to do what only he can do. And maybe we'll see a Zach-type story like we heard last week, or maybe we'll see a Jessica-type story. The point is, are you loving like Jesus loved? Are you living like Jesus lived? Are you inviting people into your life? Are you just sharing of yourself? Because when you do, then you are a blessing. So I want to encourage you, Go, share your life, and watch God do what only he can do. So, Father, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to do this. That it wouldn't be in our own effort, but that because of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and the work you're doing in us of, of restoring us into that perfect and complete image of Jesus, we want to go and we want to love. So, God, develop within us an attitude of caring, a heart that, that loves people, and we don't worry about how we're going to do it or what we're going to say, but instead we would just invite people in for a meal. We'd invite them into our life. We, we ask them questions to get to know them. And that you would just give us this deep burden to love the people around us. God, I want to see you change lives. That's what this gospel is about. We, we see here in the scriptures you changed the life of Levi. He went on to go and write the gospel of Matthew. And we want to see the lives of others be changed. We want to see you do amazing things in them. So God, I, even this morning, I want to pray specifically for Jessica. 
that her life would be changed. I thank you for the friendship that developed between her and my wife. Thank you for the things that we saw you do, the things we've, we, we know you are doing. God, would you help her to make that ultimate step, to place her faith fully in you. It wouldn't be in her money. It wouldn't be in her reputation. It wouldn't be in her friend group. It wouldn't be as a mom, that, but that her identity would be found in Jesus. And with that, I pray for anyone here that has not put their faith fully in you either. That they're here today because they're curious and they're investigating, or they're here today because they're trying to put on a show. God, we don't want to live like Pharisees who think we are righteous because of what we do. That instead, we would be honest and have our eyes open like Levi. We would see that we are sinners. We are broken. We're spiritually disconnected without Christ. But that Jesus came to die our deaths to invite us into the life you intended for us to live. So right now, I pray for anyone that needs to make that decision. And right now, they sense you calling them. That they would just pray a simple prayer, confessing their sin before you, surrendering their life, and saying that they want to follow you. That today, they would hear you, their Savior, their Rabbi, say, follow me. So God, would you help each and every one of us to go deeper with you? Would you help us to, to go so deep in this relationship with you that we are more in love with you every day and that we would want to take that love, take that gospel, take, take this wealth and give it to others. So Father, empower us to, to share the gospel, not out of, of duty, but simply because we are excited about you and what you're doing in us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.